Chapter 5 of the ABC of Adams. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Arden. The ABC of Adams by Bertrand Russell. Possible States of the Hydrogen Atom. Chapter 5. Possible States of the Hydrogen Atom. It was obvious from the first that, when light is sent out by a body, this is due to something that goes on in the atom. But it used to be thought that when the light is steady, whatever it is that causes the emission of light is going on all the time in all the atoms of the substance from which the light comes. The discovery that the lines of the spectrum are the differences between terms suggested to Bohr a quite different hypothesis, which proved immensely fruitful. He adopted the view that each of the terms corresponds to a stable condition of the atom, and that light is emitted when the atom passes from one stable state to another, and only then. The various lines of the spectrum are due, in this theory, to the various possible transitions between different stable states. Each of the lines is a statistical phenomenon. A certain percentage of the atoms are making the transition that gives rise to this line. Some of the lines in the spectrum are very much brighter than others. These represent very common transitions, while the faint lines represent very rare ones. On a given occasion, some of the rarer possible transitions may not be occurring at all. In that case, the lines corresponding to these transitions will be wholly absent on this occasion. According to Bohr, what happens when a hydrogen atom gives out light is that its electron, which has hitherto been comparatively distant from the nucleus, suddenly jumps into an orbit which is much nearer to the nucleus. When this happens, the atom loses energy, but the energy is not lost to the world. It spreads through the surrounding medium in the shape of light waves. When an atom absorbs light instead of emitting it, the converse process happens. Energy is transferred from the surrounding medium to the atom, and takes the form of making the electron jump to a larger orbit. This accounts for fluorescence, that is to say, the subsequent emission, in certain cases, of light of exactly the same frequency as that which has been absorbed. The electron which has been moved to a larger orbit by outside forces, namely by the light which has been absorbed, tends to return to the smaller orbit when the outside forces are removed, and in doing so it gives rise to light exactly like that which was previously absorbed. Let us first consider the results to which Bohr was led, and afterwards the reasoning by which he was led to them. We will assume, to begin with, that the electron in a hydrogen atom, in its steady states, goes round the nucleus in a circle, and that the different steady states only differ as regards the size of the circle. As a matter of fact, the electron moves sometimes in a circle, and sometimes in an ellipse. But Sommerfeld, who showed how to calculate the elliptical orbits that may occur, also showed that, so far as the spectrum is concerned, the result is very nearly the same as if the orbit were always circular. We may therefore begin with the simplest case without any fear of being misled by it. The circles that are possible on Bohr's theory are also possible on the more general theory, but certain ellipses have to be added to them as further possibilities. According to Newtonian dynamics, the electron ought to be capable of revolving in any circle which had the nucleus in the center, or any ellipse which had the nucleus in a focus, the question what orbit it would choose would depend only upon the velocity and direction of its motion at a given moment. Moreover, if outside influences increased or diminished its energy, it ought to pass by continuous graduations to a larger or smaller orbit, in which it would go on moving after the outside influences were withdrawn. According to the theory of electrodynamics, on the other hand, an atom left to itself ought gradually to radiate its energy into the surrounding ether with the result that the electron would approach continually nearer and nearer to the nucleus. Bohr's theory differs from the traditional views on all these points. 
He holds that, among all the circles that ought to be possible on Newtonian principles, only a certain infinitesimal selection are really possible. There is the smallest possible circle, which has a radius of about half a hundredth millionth of a centimeter. This is the commonest circle for the electron to choose. If it does not move in this circle, it cannot move in a circle slightly larger, but must hop at once to a circle with a radius four times as large. If it wants to leave this circle for a larger one, it must hop to one with a radius nine times as large as the original radius. In fact, the only circles that are possible, in addition to the smallest circle, are those that have radii 4, 9, 16, 25, 36 times as large. This is the series of square numbers, the same series that came in finding a formula for the hydrogen spectrum. When we come to consider elliptical orbits, we shall find that there is a similar selection of possible ellipses from among all those that ought to be possible on Newtonian principles. The atom has least energy when the orbit is smallest, therefore the electron cannot jump from a smaller to a larger orbit except under the influence of outside forces. It may be attracted out of its course by some passing positively electrified atom, or repelled out of its course by a passing electron, or waved out of its course by light waves. Such occurrences as these, according to the theory, may make it jump from one of the smaller possible circles to one of the larger ones. But when it is moving in a larger circle, it is not in such a stable state as when it is in a smaller one, and it can jump back to a smaller circle without outside influences. When it does this, it will emit light, which will be one or other of the lines of the hydrogen spectrum according to the particular jump that is made. When it jumps from the circle of radius 4 to the smallest circle, it emits the line whose wave number is three-fourths of Rydberg's constant. The jump from radius 9 to the smallest circle gives the line which is eight-ninths of Rydberg's constant. The jump from radius 9 to radius 4 gives the line which is five-thirty-sixths, i.e. one-fourth equals one-ninth of Rydberg's constant, and so on. The reasons why this occurs will be explained in the next chapter. When an electron jumps from one orbit to another, this is supposed to happen instantaneously, not merely in a very short time. It is supposed that for a time it is moving in one orbit, and then instantaneously it is moving in the other, without having passed over the intermediate space. An electron is like a man who, when he is insulted, listens at first apparently unmoved, and then suddenly hits out. The process by which an electron passes from one orbit to another is at present quite unintelligible, and to all appearance contrary to everything that has hitherto been believed about the nature of physical occurrences. This discontinuity in the motion of an electron is an instance of a more general fact which has been discovered by the extraordinary minuteness of which physical measurements have become capable. It used always to be supposed that the energy in a body could be diminished or increased continuously, but it now appears that it can only be increased or diminished by jumps of a finite amount. This strange discontinuity would be impossible if the changes in the atom were continuous. It is possible because the atom changes from one state to another by revolution, not by evolution. Evolution in biology and relativity and physics seem to have established the continuity of natural processes more firmly than ever before. Newton's action at a distance, which was always considered something of a scandal, was explained away by Einstein's theory of gravitation. But just when the triumph of continuity seemed complete, and when Bergson's philosophy had enshrined it in popular thought, this inconvenient discovery about energy came and upset everything. How far it may carry us, no one can yet tell. Perhaps we were not speaking correctly a moment ago when we said that an electron passes from one orbit to another without passing over the intermediate space. Perhaps there is no intermediate space. Perhaps it is merely habit and prejudice that makes us suppose space to be continuous. 
Poincaré, not the prime minister, but his cousin, the mathematician, who was a great man, suggested that we should even have to give up thinking of time as continuous, and that we should have to think of a minute, for instance, as a finite number of jerks with nothing between them. This is an uncomfortable idea, and perhaps things are not so bad as that. Such speculations are for the future, as yet we have not the materials for testing them, but the discontinuity in the changes of the atom is much more than a bold speculation. It is a theory borne out by an immense mass of empirical facts. The relation of the new mechanics to the old is very peculiar. The orbits of electrons, on the new theory, are among those that are possible in the traditional view, but are only an infinitesimal selection from among these. According to the Newtonian theory, an electron ought to be able to move around the nucleus in a circle of any radius, provided it moved with a suitable velocity. But according to the new theory, the only circles in which it can move are those we have already described, a certain minimum circle, and others with radii 4, 9, 16, 25, 36, times as large as the radius of the minimum circle. In view of this breach with the old ideas, it is odd that the orbits of electrons, down to the smallest particulars, are such as to be possible on Newtonian principles. Even the minute corrections introduced by Einstein have been utilized by Sommerfeld to explain some of the more delicate characteristics of the hydrogen spectrum. It must be understood that, as regards our present question, Einstein and the theory of relativity are the crown of the old dynamics, not the beginning of the new. Einstein's work has immense philosophical and theoretical importance, but the changes which it introduces in actual physics are very small indeed, until we come to deal with velocities not much less than that of light. The new dynamics of the atom, on the contrary, not merely alters our theories, but alters our view as to what actually occurs. By leading to the conclusion that change is often discontinuous, and that most of the motions which should be possible are in fact impossible. This leaves us quite unable to account for the fact that all the motions that are in fact possible are exactly in accordance with the old principles, showing that the old principles, though incomplete, must be true up to a point. Having discovered that the old principles are not quite true, we are completely in the dark as to why they have as much truth as they evidently have. No doubt the solution of this puzzle will be found in time, but as yet there is not the faintest hint as to how the reconciliation can be effected. What is known about other elements than hydrogen by means of the spectroscope all goes to show that the same principles apply, and that, when light is emitted, an electron jumps from an outer orbit to an inner one. But when there are many electrons revolving around a single nucleus, the mathematics becomes too difficult for our present powers, and it is impossible to establish such exact and striking coincidences of theory and observation as in the case of hydrogen. Nevertheless, what is known is sufficient to place it beyond reasonable doubt that the explanation of the spectrum of other elements is the same in principle as in the case of hydrogen. There is one case which can be tested to the full, and that is the case of positively electrified helium, which has lost one electron and has only one left. This only differs from hydrogen, as regards the movements of the electron, by the fact that the charge on the nucleus is twice as great as that on the electron, instead of being equal to it, as with hydrogen and that the mass of the nucleus is four times that of the hydrogen nucleus. The changes which this produces in the spectrum, as compared with hydrogen, are exactly such as theory would predict. In the present chapter, we have seen what was the conclusion to which Bohr was led as to possible states of the hydrogen atom, but we have not yet seen what was the reasoning by which he was led to this conclusion. In order to understand this reasoning, it is necessary to explain what is called the theory of quanta, of which Bohr's theory of the atom is a special case. 
The theory of quanta will be the subject of the next chapter. End of chapter 5